Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. We have a great guest today, but first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Farms. International Coffee Farms owns and operates 10 specialty coffee farms in Boquete, Panama. These farms are divided into half-acre parcels, and they can be purchased for as little as $18,000. As a landowner, you profit from the cash flow generated by these properties in perpetuity. The idea of a safe, diversified offshore investment is intriguing to you. Check out International Coffee Farms at internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back. We have a great guest today, all the way from Orange County, California, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Victor. Great to be on the show. Marco, you and I are both fellow Canadians, and you went south in search of warmer weather. What brought you to Orange County? Give us a little bit of your origin story. Well, the reason I moved to California is my wife and I uh, love the weather, but we had an opportunity to get involved in what I would label a dot-com business at the time. Uh, That went well for a while, but then after $9.5 million of venture capital funding and a stock market crash in the NASDAQ, we had to unwind the company, so we decided to stay. And you know, I took two years off because I had investments in you know, passive income from real estate. Um, uh, I decided to just get back into real estate full time and heavy. And then, you know, 2004 came around and I acquired in nine months, 84 doors, 84 units. And, you know, the rest is history, as they say. I think they say that the dot communists were defeated back in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So y- your focus is primarily smaller property, single family homes, uh, what would be considered residential as defined by less than five doors, which would, would be anything over five doors would be commercial. Correct. What markets are you focused on today? Obviously, there's been a lot of demand for product as a shortage of supply in many, many markets. How are you actually able to source deals in today's environment? Well, we could probably spend a half hour on that question. Uh, the, we, even though I live in the state of California, you know, I, I have this trademark saying "live where you want, invest where it makes sense," which is very similar to the radio state guys, you know, saying it's a little different. But the, the point is, is that I, I spent my most of my time investing three thousand miles away. I picked Florida, you know, Michigan, uh, uh, Georgia states to, to focus on initially when I was investing. Uh, to answer your question, I focus on markets, uh, two types of markets, cash flow markets and appreciation markets. I don't call them appreciation markets because I don't want investors to chase after appreciation to be speculators. I believe cash flow should be king. Uh, we all want wealth growth, so we want the equity, but equity happens over time if you're in the right markets. So we have two types of markets, cash flow markets and growth markets. And today, that unfortunately is 21 markets that we're in. I say unfortunate because in an ideal world, I would only want six. Three that are focused heavily on cash flow, three that are focused on growth potential. So those markets will range from uh, as far north as, let's say, Chicago, Illinois, which is actually a tier one market for us, um, and as far south as Cape Coral, Florida. Um, so these 18 markets provide a combination of cash flow and, and appreciation. And, you know, we, can, we don't need to go through the whole list, but they include Dallas, Houston, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Oklahoma City. Memphis is a perennial cash flow market that, interestingly enough, has been a dormant city for a long time. Uh, a sleeper city like Dallas. And now we're starting to see strong appreciation in Memphis, just like in Dallas. Yeah, you're starting to get a little bit of influx of jobs and population in Memphis. I mean, it was a city that for a long time was, I would say, a tough market. Yes. And uh, so very, very interesting. So today there's so much demand for, for product. Are you searching for deals? Do they come to you? What, what's the approach? So, 
Yeah, I didn't get too deep into that. The model we have is we are what I would loosely call a nationwide provider of turnkey rental properties. And turnkey, most people don't understand that term. It, for us, we have our own definition of it. That means it's in a good market, good neighborhood. Um, it is new or like new. It is tenant occupied, so it's cash flow positive from day one. And most importantly, it's professionally managed by a local management company. So there's nothing you need to do as an investor when you come into these deals and acquire them and build your portfolio um, to just be cash flowing and, and have essentially a hassle-free investment. So that's our definition of turnkey. Your question about sourcing, we build teams and that's so important in this real estate business. We're a people business, not a product or, or property business. So it's very important that we have the right teams of people on the ground. And that starts with uh, the, um, the acquisition side of it, which is either a new home builder or a team of people that can acquire distressed assets, fix them up to, into like new condition, then they provide them to us. When they provide them to us, they're tied to a management company. So the property is leased, managed, and then it's, it's again, turnkey, so now it's sold to the investor. So we have to have teams in every single market, and that's how we source it. Now, here's the problem. The problem today in most markets, as I know you're well aware of, is inventory is tight. And that goes full circle back to the reason why I said, you know, we're in 21 markets, unfortunately. The reason we're in 21 markets, unfortunately, is because we've had to go wide in order to get the depth of inventory in markets. Like Atlanta, we love Atlanta. We've loved Atlanta for a long, long time. Problem is we don't get inventory in Atlanta. And when we do, it's, it's a small amount and it comes in small waves. So I, I've had to go wide in order to get inventory. And, and that's what I mean by a lot of markets, but shallow depth of inventory. That makes a lot of sense. Now, obviously, when you're talking about income properties, you're not talking about the, the very high value, the very high, you know, the very expensive properties. You're talking about properties that if you needed to, you could unload them to maybe a, a first time home buyer, probably something in that sort of price range. Is that right? Uh, you, you hit an interesting nail on the head here because with single family homes in the, in the world of real estate as an asset class, the most liquid form of real estate is the single family home. Because if you ever have to sell it, whether you're just selling it to, to sell it or you're doing a 1031 exchange because now you're pulling equity out in order to buy more investment real estate elsewhere, um, it is the quickest and easiest to sell because your target market for a single family home is not just real estate investors, it could be any homeowner too. Right. Um, and then as soon as you step up to the duplex and fourplex level and then you go into commercial, it becomes harder and harder because if you look at a pyramid, you have a smaller and smaller buying pool of people as you go up that ladder or up that you know pyramid. Yeah, so, but, and, but, and, and, and you know, another quick point is 90% of what we actually provide real estate investors are single family homes. The other 10% are duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, and those, interestingly enough today, are new construction. Many cities have this drive towards intensification. You know, there's been urban sprawl for many, many decades in many cities, and it costs a lot of money to grow infrastructure and roads and public transit and all the rest. So many cities have taken the approach and taken those neighborhoods that are usually just outside the downtown core, have been neglected for 20, 30 years, and looking to revitalize those. Is, where does that factor into your strategy at all, if at all? Um, it, it doesn't really factor in all that much because what we tend to see is new construction is typically built in the path of progress. Right. So you, you're, you're going to see growth in certain parts of the city, like the uh, Woodlands area, uh, in, for in example. Houston. In the Houston market. Yeah, yeah. Uh, has been for a, probably a decade now, if not longer, but at least a decade, you know, it's been kind of that that new major suburb of the Houston metro. And there's been a lot of new construction, a lot of build out in that area. 
Um, and we've had a lot of investors buy properties there that successfully, and, and they've seen a lot of appreciation because of that growth. So that, that wasn't really the play at the time, but that's what they've seen. Um, but with distressed assets that came out of you know, the 2007-2008 crash, there, was, there were literally, literally millions of houses that came out of that. Right. Those distressed assets were picked up, and they're peppered throughout the cities. They're picked up they're, they're, you know, at, a, at a cheap enough price where you can put, put in a $30,000, $50,000 scope of work and create a like-new product that will cash flow well, has reasonable rent-to-value ratios in terms of the numbers that it produces. Um, but those are peppered throughout the city. I mean, you just find those assets where you find them. They're not necessarily in the path of progress or, or you know, in the inner city where there's gentrification. I mean, they could be, but not necessarily. So from a management standpoint, one of the things that we do in our business is we try and concentrate assets where possible so that our management teams don't have to drive half an hour or an hour to go to a property. You know, for example, in Philadelphia, the vast majority of our buildings, multifamily buildings, are within a 10, probably 10 block radius. So we can effectively manage it the same as you would a, a single monolithic building. Um, w- talk to me a little bit about the challenges of managing such a distributed portfolio. Well, I assume you're talking about commercial when you're talking about your... Correct. Yeah, okay. Correct, yeah. Um, with residential investments, I, um, we, I have this general rule of thumb, and that is when you build a portfolio, if you're starting out, acquire three to five properties that could be single family or duplex or fourplex in a market, one market, build three to five in one market, have that footprint there, then move to another market geographically different and build another three to five and then go to a third market and build three to five. Now you've got, you know, uh, potentially 15 properties that are single family to fourplex in scope. Uh, When you do, and by the way, you can go as as you can go as big as you want, you can go into five markets. I don't think there's ever a need to go into more than five markets. Three to five is, is the right range. But when you have three to five or more properties in one market, they're typically managed by one management company. So you have, you know, you have all your assets in that market managed by one manager. Right. Um, now, they don't have to be near each other. They could be 10 miles apart. They could be 20 miles apart. They could be down the street. It doesn't matter because the management company, t- typically property management companies, manage hundreds of doors and they're kind of spread out throughout a, you know, a geographic region of a city. So they don't need to be clustered. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but no, they don't need to be clustered. That's, that's an interesting perspective. So you're saying that the management companies have enough scope that they can handle the fact that they're not on the same block, for example. Yeah. If you've got an apartment building, they're going to be on the same lot. But, you know, if, if you're if you talk to any management company across the country, everything they manage is is peppered throughout the city. I mean, that's just the way they operate. And, you know, they're not going to the door to knock knock on the door and collect a check anyway. You know, the the checks are, are mailed to them or in, in today's day and age, it's ACH. You know, it's just auto auto pay, auto deposit. Yeah, electronic uh, funds transfer. You're the host of the wildly popular Passive Real Estate Investing podcast. Uh, what drove you to start that show? Oh, that's a good question. I don't even know myself, but <laughs> I, uh, I was actually uh, trying to decide whether I should do YouTube videos or, or a podcast because I was listening to a few other podcasts out there. You know, yours wasn't around at the time, but um, um, I thought, you know what, this is a good way to educate people. And I love educating investors and I was doing it through blog articles and speaking at the time. And I thought, wait, wait a minute, I can do a one to many um, uh, platform. And so that's what kind of drove me to do the podcast. And 
yeah, three and a half years later, you know, it's it is what it is. It's doing really well. It Congratulations. is. Congratulations. Yeah. That's yeah, thank that's you. awesome. Thank you. And, and yours is doing well too. And I love your podcast. So this is this is good. Yeah. Thank you. We get together a couple times a year. We get to see each other at events. When you come to events, why do you come to events like this? Education. I mean, instant answer. I, well, that's the number one reason. Sure. There's a, there is a number two reason. So I don't want to say education alone or only, period. Yes. Uh, it's networking, guys like you. I mean, the the, uh, the brain power in the room is amazing. The network that goes beyond the people you know, you might know 10 people and they know 10 people, and that's 100 people. You know, it's so networking is, is number two. And if, if you're listening to this and you don't get out, you need to get out a little more because there's a lot of synergy and power in a room. And who knows, you might end up doing deals with other people. Absolutely. How does coming to events translate into new business for you? Well, or does it? Um, it it does not necessarily all the time. Sure. Um, you know, th- there are times where I'll be talking to investors, and what we do, what the services we provide, that complete solution for you know that passive investor. Um, it, whatever we're doing, you know, fits fits the mold. It's it's what they need at the time, and so we can help them build a portfolio. Other times, you know, I might be looking for for an opportunity or a deal, or or I might be looking for another provider in a, in a local market. And I end up meeting those people at at certain events, and it's like we get talking. and And if as long as their product fits our criteria, it's in that box, and it meets the criteria, uh, they can become they can be onboarded as a provider. So we have, now have more good inventory for for our clients. Um, a lot of a lot of things come out of these events. You know, it's, it's the education, it's the networking, it's it's the sometimes it's the deal making, and um, and and just friends. I mean, you make friends yeah. over time, and it's good to come here and see you know ten, twenty, thirty people that I'm pretty close to. Absolutely. You know, I've always said you never really can build a business sitting behind your desk looking to Google for answers. That's right. Yeah. Again, it's a people business. It's not a property business. Yeah, yeah. it truly is. Yeah. And I've gotten to know you and, you know, and, and I've come to realize that there's a lot of people here from all over the world, you know, from Canada. There's some guys here from, uh, from uh, Spain. Uh, Spain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if folks want to get in touch with you, if they're interested in potentially learning a little bit more about turnkey real estate investing, what's the best way to do that? Um, so our, our main website is, is it's a, it, I have to spell it, it's noradarealestate.com. So N-O-R-A-D-A, Norada Real Estate. I don't know what it means, so don't ask me. Um, <laughs> and then, of it has course, nothing to do with Norad, I'm sure. No, it doesn't. It actually doesn't. Just a brandable name <laughs> yes. that, that I, I liked at the time. Uh, the other website is, is the home of the podcast, and that's simply PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. So both of those websites have have tons of information and they both link to each other so you can go from one to the other. Well, Marco, great to reconnect with you. And for the listeners at home, check out Marco at noradarealestate.com. And in the meantime, have a great rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 